I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and you're listening to the 48th part of my sermonic review of the biblical design of gender, in which my point is that children are a blessing to our lives when we have them within the will and plan of God. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. October, a beautiful day in Lansing, Michigan. Michigan State is 8 0, won in the last few minutes uh, of the game. And, uh, Oklahoma lost, so they're moving up the ladder. And uh, World Series is set, and we had a good time watching the fights last night, so life is doing us well. So our lesson for this morning is the 48th part in the Biblical Design of Gender Sermon Series. And our text is in the 11th verse of the first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. And in it, the Bible says this. And Hannah made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all of the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So, Lord, give us the words to say, and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear our message for this morning. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our mind so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. And our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now, this episode in 1 Samuel chronicles the bigamous marriage of Hannah and Elkanah. Elkanah, while being married to Hannah, has another wife named Peninnah. Hannah and Peninnah, having to share a husband involuntarily, do not exactly get along. 
And Hannah feels that she is in the one-down position in her rivalry with Peninnah because Hannah has not been able to get pregnant, but Peninnah has had several children by Elkanah. Hannah cannot blame her barrenness on Elkanah because of his two wives, Hannah is his favorite and receives most of his attention. But since Elkanah has been able to impregnate Peninnah repeatedly, Hannah cannot logically blame Elkanah for her barrenness. Now Elkanah shows his favoritism for Hannah when he allocates meats for the sacrificial dinner to his wives and children. Elkanah gives Hannah a portion that is twice as large as the portion that he gives anyone else, including Peninnah. But Elkanah's attempt to make Hannah feel better is useless. The love of her husband has no bearing on Hannah's discontent nor does it offset the taunting of Peninnah toward Hannah. Hannah wants a child, both because she is a woman of childbearing age and her rival Peninnah taunts her about her barrenness. And regardless of the amount of love that her husband shows for her, his love does not satisfy her situation. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 8 through 10 tells us, Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. So Elkanah is trying, but he is incapable of comforting Hannah. But let us switch subjects for a moment. As I've often said in this series, the biblical paradigm for marriage is monogamy. But young women are often faced with that which they consider to be a paradoxical situation. On the one hand, young women want a monogamous relationship with a faithful spouse, which requires the patience to wait for the right spouse to approach them and propose marriage. On the other hand, young women have to deal with the internal desire and the societal problem of peer pressure to have a relationship with a man now. I talked a couple of lessons ago about the Romeo and Juliet complex in which two young people that were objectively inappropriate for one another were attracted to one another and the emotions that their romantic feelings generated overwhelmed them. They made the irrevocable but immature decision to commit suicide rather than allow their emotional fixation upon one another to go unrequited. And that was a tragic outcome and one that we seldom see in our society because the sexual restraint that Romeo and Juliet practiced is not the norm in our society. Romeo and Juliet committed suicide because their parents forbid them to be together, to marry. But in our society, rather than committing suicide, children either don't ask their parents or ignore their parents as they simply consummate inappropriate relationships. And 38% of the children born in our society are born out of wedlock. Now, it takes time to complete the intellectual and social development needed to participate in a mature monogamous relationship. And time is often that which young people are not willing to give themselves. 
part of immaturity is the desire to have a partner now, appropriateness notwithstanding. But God gives us a different perspective in his treatise on love given through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. Starting in the fourth verse of that chapter, God gives us the attributes that make up godly love. And the Bible says in the first clause of 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, love is patient. The first, the primary attribute of love is patience. And when we display the lack of patience that causes us to have sex with someone that is objectively inappropriate for us, we are not in love, but are rather indulging the feeling that the Bible calls lust. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23 through 29, for these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the correction of discipline are the way to life, to keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Now, Proverbs gives these commandments to men so that they will not commit adultery or fornication. The wise Solomon in this passage of Scripture warns men about women that are off track. The immoral single woman who are women who are willing to have sex out of wedlock, the immoral married women that are willing to commit adultery, and the immoral women that are willing to prostitute themselves, all of whom are put before us by the devil to derail us from having the mature, monogamous relationship that would best serve us. It is a fairly simple equation. Mature monogamy requires patience and restraint. If we allow lust to overcome us and act on our lustful feelings, we will be scooping fire into our laps and walking on hot coals. And some things can't be fixed. Some mistakes when made cannot be taken back. Some consequences once contracted are for life, and some errors when made are fatal. But we have all these feelings. We have all these desires. We have all these bonding chemicals in our systems, and even God says that it is not good for us to be alone. What are we to do? Hold that thought. Let's go back to Hannah who had a similar, but not exactly the same problem. Yes, she had a husband, but her husband had another wife. And although her husband was very, very, very good to her, he was not able to give her that which she wanted, which she lusted after, that being a child. She couldn't blame her husband because his other wife, her rival, had not just a child, but children. And Hannah was analogous to all those men and women that want a long-term, monogamous, objectively appropriate mate and have not found a suitable one. Hannah, like them, wanted something to which she felt entitled by her status 
and she was prohibited from having it. But Hannah had the maturity that many people do not have. Although she could not have that which she wanted, that being a child, she did not blame her husband. Hannah recognized Elkanah's love for her. Knowing that her barrenness was not her husband's fault, she treated him in such a way that she remained his favorite. And to fix her problem, Hannah went to see the one that was responsible for her barrenness. Hannah was mature enough to recognize that her problem could not be solved by scapegoating someone that was not responsible for it. In some cases, it may make us feel better temporarily to blame or beat someone up that is available to us, although they are not responsible for our problem. As Rachel tried to beat up her husband, Jacob, when she was frustrated about being barren. However, it is not intelligent to indulge our feelings when the outcome of our indulgence is not going to be productive. As in the case of J Jacob and Rachel, there was nothing Jacob could do about Rachel's barrenness. Now, one of the most important things we can realize is that our feelings are not necessarily logical or rational. Our feelings do not necessarily reflect reality. And just because we feel something does not mean that we should indulge the feeling. Jesus defined our love for him by saying, in John 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And Jesus does not qualify his statement by adding anything about how we feel about keeping his commandments. Whether or not we feel like keeping his commandments, if we love him, we will keep them. Now, while I have nothing against praise and worship in church, and I recognize that in certain uh, situations, praise and worship are extremely comforting, Praise and worship is no substitute for keeping Jesus's commandments. Luke chapter 11, verse 27 and 28 tells us, and, and it happened as Jesus spoke these things, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. But Jesus said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, back to Hannah who chose not to indulge her feelings. Hannah was in ang anguish because her rival was taunting her about not having children, and there is nothing that either she nor her husband could do to change that situation. So Hannah wisely went to see the one that could affect her situation. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 tells us, and Hannah was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Now Hannah, wanted her womb opened, and Hannah recognized that the Lord controls the fertility of the planet and the increase of individuals. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12 through 16, 
Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my heart eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So the solution for barrenness involves prayer. But the complete solution involves more than prayer. Along with our prayers, we must humble ourselves, seek God, and turn from our wicked ways. And that is the point at which God will hear and fix our situation. So if we go back to our earlier thought, the one about the 38% of the children in our country born out of wedlock because of our inability to find suitable monogamous spouses we find the solution to that problem in the example of Hannah. Just as Hannah wanted her womb opened, some people want faithful spouses with whom they can share mature love. Hannah went to see the Lord about her problem, and Hannah not only asked the Lord for that which she wanted, but she also promised the Lord that which she perceived he wanted. And what does the Lord want? The Lord wants us. Numbers chapter 6 verse 1, 2, 5, and 8 tell us, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when either a man or woman consecrate an offering or take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, all the days of his vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. And Hannah vowed to God that if he would but give her a male child, she would arrange the child's upbringing so that he would be holy to the Lord all the days of his life. And in the land of Israel, the Lord needed holy people. You may remember that this episode is still in the period of the judges. And as the last verse in the book of Judges tells us, Judges 21, 25, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So Hannah is offering to set the fruit of her womb apart to God for God to use to bring the land of Israel into holiness. And God is going to need such a man. Now, as Hannah is praying to God at the temple, she is not alone. We have already read in the B portion of 1 Samuel 1 and 9, now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And Eli the priest was the current judge of Israel. But Eli, being old, brought his sons into the family business. As the B portion of 1 Samuel 1 and 3 tells us, 
Also the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And the two sons of Eli were not sterling examples of the priesthood. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22 to 25 says, Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he, said to, so he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. Now if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not hear, heed the voice of their father, because the Lord desired to kill them. Eli was old. His sons and successors, Hopni and Phinehas, were corrupt as they used their position as priests to make immoral liaisons with women. Hopni and Phinehas were on the fast track for destruction, and God needed a man to lead his people. Hannah was barren, but she pledged that if the Lord would but open her womb, she would set her firstborn son apart to the Lord from his birth. And we see God navigating the circumstances of life and gathering us under the authority of his word. God, through Hannah's barrenness, has, unbeknownst to her, given her an opportunity to serve on his program. Interestingly, God gives us all that same opportunity. He uses the circumstances of life to navigate us to the place in which we can be used. And as we have already read, God tells us in 2 Chronicles 7:14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Why do we have this great problem without a wedlock births in our country? The problem exists because young people indulge their feelings and consummate their desires for a mate outside of the plan and will of God. Young people recognize that it is not good to be alone, but they are too arrogant to pray and seek God and are willing to get that which they want in a wicked way because they want to indulge their feelings now. Everybody else has someone, and I should have someone too. Whether or not that person is objectively, pro objectively proper for me to have. No, we're not married, but I want somebody. And maybe I'll never get married, but I want a baby. Babies are cuddly, and when they are cleaned up, they smell wonderful. And as long as I have a baby, I'll never be alone. Now just think back to the days when your child was a baby. Weren't those wonderful days? Unfortunately, there is no life form, including human life, in which the baby remains a baby forever. Before long, there are the terrible twos. As the child's personality begins to form in earnest and he or she begins to become rebellious. Not so cute, huh? A few years later, puberty will hit. 
menstrual periods and mood swings, hormonal situation and adult desires in a body that is maturing topped by a mind that is not. An adolescent boy that can make babies still wants to play video games. An adolescent girl that wants to do things that grown-ups do is too immature to choose someone with whom to do these things, with whom she can be married for the rest of her life. Now, back in the 1990s, I wrote a computer program to mechanize some processes in my company. That was not my job, but the implementation of the program saved the company a great deal of money. I was awarded a prize for my innovation and was transferred out of my management job into a job mechanizing processes all over the company. The next year, I started reporting to a programming group in Chicago. I got up every Monday morning, drove to Capital City Airport, caught a plane and flew to Chicago. Then I spent my week writing programs and flying around the region implementing them. And each Friday I flew back home, spent the weekend with my wife and son and jetted back out on Monday. This went on for a year and a half. One Wednesday afternoon, the phone in my office rang. I answered it and it was my wife. Dear, she began, you need to come home. I'll be home on Friday, dear, I replied. Can it wait till then? No, dear, my wife said, that's not what I mean. I mean, you have to come home to work permanently. Dear, I replied, I don't get it. What is the problem? The problem is your son, my wife replied. He's growing up and he needs you. Okay, dear, I replied, I'll go talk to my boss and see what I can do. So I did. When I went to his office to explain the situation to him, he told me to shut the door and sit down. If you need to go home to work, he told me, do it. We'll figure out how to get the job done. Because every month, I have to take a week off and fly to Arizona where my son is. He's in drug rehab down there because when he was your son's age, I was like you. I was married to his mother, but I wasn't home. I was flying around the country. And without a dad around, he got into drugs and you can guess the rest. So go home and take care of your son so you don't end up like me. So just think back to the days when your child was a baby. Weren't those wonderful days? And unfortunately, there is no life form, including human life, in which the baby remains a baby forever. And a boy needs a father, as Proverbs 22 and 6 tells us, to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And a girl needs a father to love her. Everyone female needs love and attachment. It's built into the endocrine system, into the hormones that flow through her body. I was sitting in the living room working on this sermon yesterday right outside my wife's office. She was scrapbooking while her television in her office was on the Lifetime Movie Network. I was there for about four hours and movie after movie came on with the same plot. Some young girl was looking for love and going through the drama that young love entails. And that channel resonates with women because of the hormones that they have. 
And the Lord gave them those hormones because, as he said in Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And as a man's helper, a woman is designed to be bonded to a man. And until a girl is mature enough to be married, the man that God gives her to whom she should be bonded is her father. If we review Deuteronomy 22, starting with verse 13, we will find the regulations regarding marriage. And the father is the one to whom the young man desiring a wife must apply. A young woman with her hormonal bondedness may not be objective enough to make a good choice in a mate. So God delegates the responsibility to oversee the girl's decision for a mate to her father. And if the girl makes the decision on her own, the young man is still beholden to the girl's father. Deuteronomy 22, 28, and 29 tells us, if a young man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out, then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her. He shall not be permitted to divorce her all his day. And since the young man in question did not give the father the opportunity to reject him because of his inappropriateness, God legally binds the young woman, young man rather, to the young woman for life and instructs the young man to compensate the father because of the young man's rashness in decision making. God's design for the genders is that young women stay in their father's house until they move into their husband's house because women are designed to be bonded to men. And our wedding ceremonies acknowledge God's design. As a man, generally the woman's father, gives the bride to the groom in the ceremony. And God designed marriage because those cute, adorable little snuggly babies are not going to remain snuggly forever. Eventually, they are going to grow up. And although a mother can handle the demands of a diaper baby without a father pretty easily, mothers cannot handle the demands of a child as he or she grows into maturity. As the child matures, he or she needs a father for their training and protection. And God institute marriage so that the father will be warming up in the bullpen until the mother can't pitch anymore. And then dad can come in and close out the game. Of course, life is not cut as not as cut and dried as that. Dads can do a lot with babies and toddlers, and young adult women still need their mothers. But I hope you see my point. Mom having those hormones provides emotional support, while dad having his objectivity provides the type of support that leads young adults into good objective decisions. And so the out-of-wedlock birth problem in our society is fixable. The Lord tells us in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Sex out-of-wedlock 
is the wicked way. And those that reject this teaching lack humility because they think that they know better than God, who tells us in Hebrews 13 and 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And since marriage is honorable, God wants us to be married. Even with the supposed numerical inequity between the genders, God wants all of us that call upon him to be happily and honorably married, just as God wanted Hannah, who was barren, to have children. But God had a special use for Hannah's child, and God withheld the child from Hannah until Hannah was ready to give the child back to God for his own use. And 1 Samuel 1, chapter 1, verse 19 to 28 tells us, Then Elkanah and his family rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow, but Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And Hannah said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying for to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I have also led him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. And then after Hannah prayed a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord, then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah. But the child Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And Hannah left her son with Eli the priest, and the boy grew, ministered to God, and became the next great judge of Israel in the stead of Eli's wicked sons. Children are a blessing to our lives, when we have them within the will and plan of God. And Samuel was not the only child that God brought into the world to be a blessing to his people. As John three sixteen and 17 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And God's son was set apart, as was Samuel, to minister to the Lord before the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees who were as corrupt 
as were Eli's sons. And God's son's ministry was to die, to be crucified on the cross of Calvary as a sacrifice, as a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, the sins that you have committed and the sins that I have committed. Not an animal sacrifice of bulls or goats, but a human sacrifice who had the power to display the love of God to this sin-sick world and to show us the road upon which to travel to become one with God once again, despite our sinfulness. And Jesus, the sinless Son of God, tells us in John 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And when waiting for the Lord to move on our behalf, while keeping his commandments is not easy, let us remember that which the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, tells us in the first clause of 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, love is patient. So let us patiently love the Lord. Let us humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, and turn from our wicked way. Let us give ourselves and set ourselves, our bodies, and the fruit of our bodies apart to the Lord. And let us work on his program rather than expecting him to work on ours. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Christian God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson, for this example of a woman who gave the fruit of her body to you. And Lord, we understand that she was barren and that she was seeking a child and that she decided to give that which she wanted, most of all, back to you. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help us as we go to and fro in this sin-sick society to look at that which you have told us to do. And then, Lord, we ask you that you would help us to do it to be an extension of your son, to be an example for the world and an exhibit of your goodness that others might be able to look at us and recognize that although the wages of sin is death, that the gift of God to us is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that in the house today. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.